0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to Red Ingja. I'm Jared Kimber. This podcast has adverts, but if you prefer your podcast without, in the show notes you'll see the link to my Patreon page and you can listen to our chats uninterrupted. Patreon also comes with many other benefits as well, including a Discord channel and private chats with me. But now, the show. This episode of Red Inca is about Australia's tour to Pakistan, so I got the person who made her own news while out there to tell us all about it.
0: Hi, my name's Melinda Farrell, and I'm a senior cricket writer for Sporting News Australia.
1: We talk about her horrible tweets, missing out on Pakistan in our careers, a different kind of tour, Imran Khan, meeting celebrities, becoming famous yourself, Mohammed Rizwan, Baba Azam, Uzman Khawaja and Miss Marble. Before this tour, has one of your shit tweets ever ended up on the front page of a newspaper before?
0: No, and to be fair, I've put a lot of shit tweets out there That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah, that was, it was quite an amazing moment. I mean, before I went to Pakistan, I knew it was a big deal because I was going back to Pakistan, obviously, like we all did. First time in 24 years, all that sort of stuff, and especially since, you know, England and New Zealand had cancelled their tours uh, last year. But it's just bizarre. I tweeted about Baba Razam, and it was a shit tweet. I just, you know, he played. It wasn't even a cover drive. That's the funny thing. People You know, everyone talks about his cover drive. It was a straight drive. So it was that role, Pindi... First test, he plays this beautiful straight drive. And I've just tweeted, you know, off the cuff, it was worth traveling halfway around the world to see that Barbara Azam drive. Thought nothing of it. But probably did about 10 other shit tweets that day. Obs. Yeah, Obs. And then the following day, <laughs> I was actually sitting in the lobby of the Serena Hotel with Jeff Lemon, and we just finished doing a video and i got a message and it was from a journalist at the tribune express which is one of the major newspapers in pakistan sister newspaper to the new york times as it says on the front and it was a picture of the front page and i was on the front page <laughs> and i just went holy shit and, and jeff was like oh my god what what he thought something really bad had happened i said i've got to go i've got to go to the to the desk and i went to the desk and I asked the, the staff, I said, Oh, do you have a copy of the Tribune Express? And, and they pulled it out and they've looked down, they've looked up, and they've looked down, they've looked up. And I'm wearing a mask, but they could still say, I'm like, Yeah, 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 I know, just give me the damn paper. And I walked away. And there it was, it was a splash. So it was right across the top. It was like the banner across the top. They Google imaged a picture of me sort of laughing, head back laughing, with the tweet there. And below me was Imran Khan fighting for the prime minister position. Below this. Tweet was Putin and the Ukraine, and I—I I was so flabbergasted that I left—I left my handbag in the lobby because I went back up, went back up to my room, um, and didn't realize I'd left my handbag in the lobby till the next day. Got it back; everything was fine, of course. But uh, yeah, I was just really blown away. It was the first time I really realized, oh my gosh, this really is a big deal because you can know it intellectually, but it's certainly not until you get there that I think that you really understand you feel it in your bones and you, you really understand on so many more levels just how important that tour was and how important it is to cricket and not just to cricket to people in Pakistan to have international cricket back there
1: Mel Vladimir and Imran together at last but
0: <laughs> yeah this is probably the only time that there will ever be on the same page of a newspaper
1: I hope. I don't know what the, the other one sounds like. An awful newspaper headline. If you manage to get back in it. Googlies, quarter seamer, Karen Dukes, back of the hand, red leg cutters, Tisra, pink knuckle, white slider, seed heavy bounces, cherry length, pill off cutters, old crimson traveller, Kookaburra hard outswing, second new off spin arm sg split finger shiny leg spin soft new yorkers flippers wrongins, long hops reverse swing half volley and third new these are just some of the names we use for balls in cricket well manscape wants you to be as proud of your balls as you are of the ones delivered by your favorite cricketer manscape just launched their fourth generation trimmer the lawnmower 4.0 Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Insert the code RedInca at manscaped.com. I've actually used this, I'm not just something that I'm hawking for fun, and I gotta admit, I thought it was a bit silly, and then I went down there and it was exceptional. I honestly feel like a bowl outswing with one nut and inswing with the other. So get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code REDINCA at manscaped.com. Manscaped, for the man who cares about his balls as much as the ones out in the middle. I kind of feel like our entire generation of cricket riders kind of missed out on Pakistan. For me, cricket in Pakistan was, you know, those hazy old images that we used to see on cameras. We didn't even always get footage. Everyone's used to Pakistan cricket Twitter because that's a massive thing but that isn't Pakistan as a country. The footage you see on CNN is also not Pakistan the country, right? What were your sort of your thoughts going in other than the fact that it was another, you know, passionate fan base?
0: I mean, I had a pretty open mind, I think. And pa- partly because I've done quite a bit of traveling in the Middle East. So, yep. I'm very conscious of the fact that the often what we see in the Western media is not the reality of living in a country. Because you, you go to some of these countries and you, you only get a certain view of it, you know, on TV news, and then you get there and it's actually just people, you know, going to school, going to work, getting They're on with living their living normal lives. Uh, exactly. Someone wants to get the milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. People have birthday parties, do all sorts of things. And of course, I, I knew a lot of Pakistani people through covering cricket. So I've obviously got some... Good friends and and colleagues who were from Pakistan. So, you know, and they're normal too, (laughs) strangely enough. So, uh, so, exactly. I said that Osman Samudin, he's a bit weird. Um, But so I had a pretty open mind. I guess what I wasn't so sure about, and, you know, probably other people were more concerned about me. People were asking me before I left yeah. Australians if I was going to have to wear a burqa. In <laughs> fact, people asked me after I came back if I'd had to wear a burqa. And I was like, no, I just wore really unflattering baggy clothes because, you know, that was hot. So, so- i sorry, I don't understand
1: what the difference is to a normal tour for you. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. So, so a lot of people still have that idea in their head that's incredibly strict as far as, as women go and clothing and all that sort of thing. And no, it's actually, there's a massive, massive range. So plenty of people wearing Western clothes, some who wear shower kameez, some who cover their full head of hair, others who don't at all. Like So that sort of didn't surprise me that much. I, I guess the, the biggest thing that I didn't know about was going to be the level of security, because that had been such a massive focus of the previous tours. And we had a lot of back and forwards with the PCB about security arrangements and there were things that they wanted us to do and, you know, they like wanted us to stay in the team hotel, for example, there was discussion back and forth about whether or not we were going to be in the bubble as a whole, uh, if we were going to have to be part of the convoy to the grounds, whether we were going to be allowed out of the hotel with security at all. So that was the, probably the biggest thing beforehand because... We didn't really want security like that, but we also wanted to respect what the PCB wanted because the tour meant so much to them. And they were signing off on our visas and putting their letters and everything. So it sort of took a a bit of chatting to work out what the level of security was going to be. And in the end, we didn't have any security. There were a couple of times that I went out with security because I, I went with people who had the various protocols involved with that. And I'm glad I didn't have to do that the whole time because that actually made me more nervous than not having security because at one point, well, I went to the Wagga border with the head of Australian security. So I, I got into a um, an armour-plated bus with some other people, like a mini bus that was armour-plated and, and, you know, double doors. It's like getting inside of a... a tin can and you've I felt really claustrophobic. And I said, like, what does this withstand? And one of the guys told me, oh, it's built to withstand sustained fire from an AK-47. That made me more nervous than, any, than you know anything else. That's
1: what I want to hear before I get into something <laughs> that we've done this because we expect sustained fire from an AK-47 is the first part of that. But yeah, I mean that's I mean that that's incredible. But just on many I mean you got COVID, I know you got security not specifically for you, but a lot of security around, obviously around mm. the ground specifically. Massive, uh, massive. Wi-Fi bands, I think, between the grounds. So it's not in any way like a normal cricket tour for you.
0: No, it wasn't like a normal cricket tour. For starters, so it was a small group of us, and because we were pretty much all staying in the same hotel, and they were expensive hotels, so we had freelancers bunking in with full-timers. So I had Izzy Westbury bunking in with me while she was there for the first test. It was very close knit. We had to sort of, we got cars together and you had to time your run everywhere to and from training, to and from the ground. Because, I mean, the convoy was unbelievable. There were decoy buses. It felt like there were about 200 vehicles that went. And if you timed it wrong, you just got stuck because they closed the roads and then the Wi Fi network would go down. So you couldn't get online. So if you mistimed it, like we did a couple of times, you ended up just by the side of the road with no sort of access to the internet, just, you know, having to wait while it all happened and then hope the traffic wasn't too bad afterwards. So it definitely wasn't a normal tour like that. So we ended up as a very small band trying desperately to get Jeff Lim and Barrett to meet us on time so that we could leave on time to get to the ground and get back home again. So it wasn't quite as free as... Other tours in that way just because we had to stick together and you had to try and always beat that convoy.
1: Crazy. Also, I was in Sri Lanka when it looked like Rajapaksa was going to come back to power and was it late 2018? And I was in peak Rajapaksa area of Sri Lanka before one of the test matches. And suddenly you're like, oh, I could be here when there's a coup. <laughs> and, you know, and newspapers going, will there be a coup and all this sort of stuff? And you're like, I'm now going to have to really take care of what's happening and not go out and you know there were areas we couldn't go i remember talk sport were terrified that you know we'd go out and we'd get caught in um you know some not an uprising so much but like people taking to the streets or you know anything like that and imran khan uh, was going through (laughs) some political stuff while you were there so you're already in pakistan it's already not like another tour and then you're just like wait a minute is imran about to be dismissed see what i did there cricket term
0: Uh uh-huh
1: I mean, obviously, it hasn't gone in the way that many people thought it would have, but that's going to be on your mind anyway. When you you tour any country and something weird happens, you start to go, oh, am I in the right place at the right time?
0: So it was funny. I mean, there was also a bombing in Peshawar while we're in Islamabad, which isn't that far from Peshawar either. But to be honest, that's where the the massive amount of security was it just felt like that that was far, far distant from us. And I just couldn't see how anyone was going to get past that security. So it didn't worry me at all. As tragic as it is, I don't want to play down the tragedy either of what happened there. The Imran Khan thing was really weird and interesting because from the time he got to Islamabad, the politics was entering the cricket. So he had the, the minister of, I think it was like the minister of the interior or he's, he's really big, the sheikh quite a a sort of, I don't know, cult figure if you like. He came into the press box and honestly he walked in and there were about 30 security people around him. All the journalists, Pakistani journalists suddenly went mad taking videos and everything. And he kind of made this speech about how they made Australian cricket come to Pakistan and all the security was great. And then he left and it was like, what just happened? And then the next thing, the Minister of Information comes into the press box and makes a big speech about us being there so another you know really major politician at one point he looked at me and said how are you finding Pakistan and I couldn't think of what to say and I said oh it's really nice there's some um, there's a lot of meat here you people really like meat don't you <laughs> what, what did I just say I, I just you know had a bit of a blank but yeah so the politics was already in there and When it got to the bit, you know, where where Imran Khan was making speeches, I think people around were very aware as well that, you know, a lot of the positions in the PCB are political positions. And so there's often, if there's a change in government, there's often a change in, in, you know, various personnel. So, you know, that was all around it too. So when he was making speeches, there suddenly, at times... The cricket broadcast went off and the, and Imran's speeches in parliament came on. And so, of course, they had to change their matches and move them from Islamabad to just have all the white ball matches in Lahore. So that was a, the main way that it affected us in the end. But people kept saying to us, oh, don't go anywhere this day because there's going to be big marches in the street and you won't be able to move and it will be really dodgy just didn't happen that we saw it and we went out but whether or not we just happened to miss various times or whatever the rest of the country again was just sort of going on life as normal
1: Mm. the other interesting thing is that most cricket cultures there are famous hangers-on around cricket yeah mick jagger was at the island test you remember had to i so remember, remember that.
0: that he was at every test that summer he was everywhere he was in wales
1: yeah they you remember they had a security car at the back that was running they had to keep the engine running from him and we weren't allowed to take photos of him do you remember it was so weird I do. anyway so we're used to that in england there's lots of famous people australia has lots of famous people the difference is that i would assume being the australians coming over to Pakistan, that you were involved in that. And I'm only saying that because I've read your article where you talked about hobnobbing it with the uh, the elites of Pakistan's uh, film industry.
0: That was quite an experience. I mean, look, there, there were a couple of different types of things. So at one point, PTV, which is like the ABC or the BBC, got me to come in. I thought I was coming in to do a five or ten-minute chat about the cricket. And it turned out it was a half-hour show that was kind of about me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would, is, if, is that on YouTube? Can I subscribe to this channel?
0: <laughs> but, but this was, and I just didn't even realise. I was like, oh, my, I, and I kept trying to say, you know, it's not about me, it's about the cricketers. But then I was you know, also understanding that this is a big deal to have people come over and, and cover cricket and be a normal part of it. Yeah, the other one, and it was amazing because with the previous night we'd been out to Burns Road, which is a food street, if you like, really famous, all street food, everyone. We were the only Westerners there, you know, especially me with my blonde hair and everything, but it was brilliant. We went and we, so we had our really cheap food. We spent probably about $2 on dinner um, and went home. And then the next night I'd had a message from someone at the PCB saying oh can you go downstairs for dinner at at 8 30 and it was eight o'clock and I was like oh I wasn't gonna have dinner but I went down just wearing my baggy clothes you know hadn't brushed my hair no makeup just went downstairs I thought we were eating in the hotel and so there must must be someone from the PCB wanted to chat about something anyway it ended up being someone came and ushered me into a, a car And the next thing, we're going through the streets of Karachi by this stage, you know, nine o'clock at night. And we we ended up at the house of Shamino Bey Now, Shamino Bey Chanoi is a a film director. She was the first Pakistani to win an Oscar. She's won two of them uh, for directing documentaries. And she was having like just a soiree, a house party a basically. soiree I
1: can't believe you it said was that.
0: a soiree I'm <laughs> telling you and the the artworks everything that was out everyone was so chic and trendy and there's me in my you know baggy things and I you know not really knowing what to what to say her, her husband is a massive cricket fan so he just wanted to talk about cricket her sister uh, who's a deal she's brilliant she's on the cricket board there. And she started up this thing called Kilo Cricket where and doing it during Ramadan when they have girls playing cricket at night. She's an absolute go-getter, massively into cricket. But then there are other people, like this guy I was talking to, you couldn't believe that I'd gone to Burns Road the night before. And he said, oh, we can't really go out to dinner because my wife's such a famous actress that she just gets hassled all the time. And I didn't know who anyone was, so it was all going over my head. But probably the funniest bit, thing was when um, Shemin sat down and we were, having, we were having a chat, I knew that she directed these documentaries, thank God. So I said to her, are you working on another documentary? And she said, oh, I'm doing this, this commercial and we're doing, filming a commercial this weekend in Lahore." And she said, I've actually just finished filming a series for Disney and I said, oh, okay, what series? And she said, Ms. Marvel. <laughs> so the new Marvel se- oh, series. Oh, yeah,
1: because that's a Pakistani superhero, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And so they've got three Pakistani directors and she's one of them. So she's literally just wrapped on this, you know, it's going to be this massive, huge series. And all like, you know, it's a bit like you guys have lots of meat. I said to her, you'll appreciate this. I said to her, oh, yeah, I used to work for Disney.
1: I thought you could have got worse. I, could, I thought you could have said something like, I've seen the Avengers.
0: <laughs> I didn't say that. But, but there was a thing. So there was something in one of the rooms. There was like this, it, it was set up like a, a suit of armour. But it was, I, I was looking at it going, "That's that looks like it's from a Marvel film, but I don't recognise it. And so then I realised afterwards, maybe that's actually from the Ms. Marvel series. So I'm going to have to watch it with interest to see if it was. But yes, yeah, so so we've gone from from being out on the street having street food to being in this really chic society, and so I you know, the level of contrast was amazing, as it would be in a lot of countries, you know, if you get invited to the right sort of circles. But it was just really unexpected. but we don't. I, I never do. And so like about midnight, went home and I just sat there going, "What the hell just happened? I don't understand.
1: I had a moment. Mine's a little bit more crickety than yours, not quite as Marvel's related. But, uh, but I ended up at Kumar Sangakara's house one night, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was walking in with a big former player who's like, and he turned to me, and this was like a famous, fam- like I don't want to out him, but a very famous cricketer. Everyone would know him if I said it. And he looked at me and goes, how weird is it we're walking into Kumar Sangakara's house? And I was like, I mean, if you're saying that,
0: what the hell do you think
1: I feel, right? So I understand that sort of level of that. The other thing that I found really interesting, especially the first week, there was a lot of photos of very pasty white people wearing very traditional different outfits and hats and scarves and everything. It does get a little bit like bad politician on tour, at times and you, you don't want to say no to those people because it means a lot to them to get a photo with you and you, you did a million selfies as you know a, a lot of us have mm. when we've when we've traveled uh, especially the subcontinent you don't want to say no to anyone so you try and do it all then they put on the hat and the the coat or whatever clothing it is and you look a bit like I'm trying to phrase this in the <laughs> nicest possible way to you and Colo and the others who I saw in these photos but you know you look a little bit like you're invading the culture and uh, <laughs> It's a really interesting balance, though, isn't it? That you only really get, and I would have assumed in Pakistan that would have been dialed up 20.
0: Yeah, it was. And especially because each of the sports journalists' associations, and it's, it's quite amazing that their sports journalists' associations are obviously far bigger than anything we have. Because at one point I was sitting, I think it was when we were in, it was somewhere in Raul Bindi, but it happened at every place. You would sit there and there'd be 10 people introducing themselves. And everyone was a former president or secretary of the Sports Journalists Association, literally every single person. So they, the associations are big and they, they really wanted to present us with gifts. I was given personally a lot of gifts as as well as some of the other stuff we were given. And often there would be a speech involved as well. And look, it was all about hospitality and that's what it was all about. It was overwhelmingly genuine. They really wanted us to feel welcome. Not only was there the gifts, there was a constant offer of, if you need anything, please let me know. Let me know if I can do anything for you. Not just from the journalists, people in the street, just the military and the police, like everybody, just everybody wanted to make sure you were okay. Yeah, so, you know, it's one of those things. And you do want to make sure that you're respectful and yep. uh, everything as well. So but I figure if people are presenting you with something as a gift to wear. I don't think that that's a, a offence. Like you're not going in and trying to, I don't
1: know. No, no. But also even it's more offensive if you say no, but there's a certain point yes. where you end up with 20 photos or or the PTV thing. I, so I, I've had similar things over my career. I don't think I've ever had it with that big. But first time I went to an IPL game and I went in and I was literally seven different people interviewed me about me being at an IPL game. And this was very early on in the IPL, you know, these days there would be plenty of Western journalists, I I would assume that would probably go through. But at that stage, it was a very rare thing. And you feel uncomfortable because we're the people who write about the story. We're not yeah. the story. Now we're the yeah. photo. You know, you see Izzy Westbury's video where she gets interviewed by a person about how women in Pakistan make the tea for us. And, all, and it's like she has to smile her way through an interview where she probably kind of wanted to punch a guy in the nose a little bit, you know, and there are different situations where we're not famous people, you and I, Mel, right. Well, we don't right. get stopped on the street, right? We're not used to that. And you go into that environment and you do get stopped on the street.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, it was just all of that, especially in that first week. And it did, like, I i lost count of the number of interviews that I did with various people and, you know, asking me to sing Dildul Pakistan, for example, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yes, yes, I know. But that's what I mean by you can know intellectually it's a big deal. But yeah. it's only when you experience all of that that you really do realise, God, these... These people have been starved of cricket. And so anyone coming in and, and making them for that series, you know, the centre of cricket, is just, it's just massive. And in other parts of the subcontinent, yes, it's a big, it, you know, you do get the selfies and stuff as well. But this was just a different level. Um, I mean, people made signs for us at the ground. You know, there'd be people holding up signs that they'd made for us. And and you go out onto the balcony, there'd be all these people, you'd love this. So, not only were people waving, people were looking up at me and doing this because there must
1: be a way for us to make money off that, Mel.
0: I know, because <laughs> I'd watch polite inquiries. So, I mean, all of that was just, it was really overwhelming. And, you know, maybe it's something that will change as cricket hopefully becomes normalized in Pakistan and it'll become a new thing. I mean, even the fact that I met, you know, some of our colleagues at Crick Info that I'd been colleagues for years and it was the first time I'd met them. That was also really bizarre when, you know, meeting Umar Faroo Carlson and Daniel as well. It was like, how's it happened that you realise they've actually mostly been in that one spot covering cricket and never getting sort of around to other places or having cricket there. So hopefully it will become normalised and, you know, I look forward to going back and, and seeing, you know, how things might change. I think... It wouldn't have been so intense if New Zealand and England hadn't pulled out last year. I think that intensified the attention a lot more Mm. because there are a lot of people who didn't believe Australia were coming and were going to play until they were halfway through the first test, essentially.
1: Yeah, well, I booked other work, Mel, because I (laughs) thought there was no way that series was going ahead. I wasn't going to be caught short as a freelancer. So I booked the West Indies England series knowing that that would happen. So (laughs) I was surprised. Let's talk a little bit more about the ground. That first test, it felt like it was a celebration of, well, Pakistan cricket coming home. And we know that other teams have played. So we know, you know, West Indies and Zimbabwe, other teams have been there. We're not taking away from that. But because of what happened with England and uh, New Zealand, and also because of the fact that Australia was the first team to stop going to Pakistan, right? Yeah. Well before everyone else, which I've written about many times over the years. I think Andy Bickle's was the one who came out and said, yeah, the sort of stuff we didn't go for was unjustifiable when you really break it down. I, he said something on mm. that. I don't want to put words into Andy Bickle's mouth. But essentially, that was a celebration test on what was one of the worst cricket pitches <laughs> you could find. But it really was a celebration test, that first one, wasn't it?
0: And that was it. It was a shame that the pitch wasn't great because, well, it was officially below average, wasn't it? It was a shame because... Everything else was absolutely spot-on perfect. The tone, everything had been great. And, you know, even having Usman Kawaja there and having his sort of homecoming story and then, you know, he missed out on the century. But talk about the welcome given to us. I mean, the welcome given to the players. And they felt it. Like, the players really felt it. And I've thought about this a lot. I don't think I have ever covered a series involving Australia that has been played in such great spirit. And people were almost like taking the mick out of it in the end. You can be cynical about it, but it Mm. was genuine. The players got it. The players really understood how important this was. And and because it came across through everyone, through staff everywhere, uh, through the uh, other Pakistan players as well, through the questions that Usman Khawaja was being asked um, by journalists, all of it, the, the players got it. So it did have kind of a, a real sense of occasion about it mm. that kind of came through in, in so many different ways. And and I, I do think that actually had an effect on the players. And I think they accepted their role. As you were saying, you know, we accept our role as sort of, you know, wanting to be the good guests and everything. The players sort of accepted their ambassadorial roles, particularly usman Khawaja, I think. And, and that made it really interesting. The pitch was, it was like, Damn it! Um, You know it. It sort of took the wind out of the sails a little bit of the whole thing, and I'm quite conscious of not just saying that a pitch that isn't like a pitch in Australia is a bad pitch. You know, so so we weren't talking about that at all. I think, and I think there's possibly a bit of a lack of understanding about Pakistan test pitches too, because there's been relatively little Test cricket played there in you know the past 25 years certainly past 20 years that sense of celebration and occasion definitely came through and it was even coming through from just everybody you get out of the car and you walk there and the number of people who stopped and said thank you so much for coming to our country really means a lot to us you just heard it all the time so definitely the players i think realized that as well
1: so on the field Outside of Ramesh Raja's spicy wickets, <laughs> incredibly exciting cricket that we saw. We did see some good performances, obviously. Mohamed Rizwan and Barbara Azam, flat pitch or not, that was incredible, wasn't it?
0: That was absolutely amazing. That was most certainly one of the highlights. And, yeah, there were good performances, and yeah, Obviously... Batting-wise, you got, like, your Imam Al-Haq and Abdullah Shafiq, I think, um, played really well for them as well. But you, you expect you're probably going to get some higher scores on those pitches, but it was the nerve that Baba Azam and Mohamed Rizwan showed in that test because it was flat, yes, but there was something more, it, there was a bit more going on in that test. It was doing a little bit more, and I think the players were really, especially when Australia were really discovering how to make the ball reverse... Again, mm. uh, and so you saw what some really last time? good. Let's that, not worry about it. Exactly, <laughs> but that sort of made it, you know, a little bit more exciting as well. But yeah, that was just one of those sort of epic feats of of just determination. Mm-hmm. About you're know, a little bit like a different, but that's the same sort of feeling that you had, say with. Johnny Bairstow at the SCG, where it was just like, you know, bloody-mindedness, not, not going to stop. And then the fact that they were just able to do what they did and take it in a way that you sort of were like, oh, will they, won't they? Is there a chance here? And you kind of knew deep down that there wasn't. But the fact that they made it so exciting until that last day and kept it there, I actually really, really enjoyed that test. I thought it was fantastic, absolute classic. And there were lots of lovely Baba um, drives that were worth travelling halfway around the world to see.
1: <laughs> and tweeting about. Um, it's been Khawaja. It's funny, I was just asked to be on another podcast and they were talking about Australian cricket and sort of the working class origin of Australian cricket compared to the other cricket cultures around the world. And I said, if you look back, that Australian cricket's been very good at bringing in people from other backgrounds, non-traditional cricket mm. backgrounds. But we haven't been particularly good with the Asian population, especially someone who grew up with everyone was a Sri Lankan cricketer in Melbourne. You know, the Agars, Stuart Clark, I think his mother was Indian, if I remember correctly, Dav Watmore, Grinda Sandu. Usman Khawaja is like the star of that group. He's obviously had his own problems up and down with his career. It feels like he goes through these periods where he looks like he can't go out before we've seen those, and then he goes through another period where he looks like he can't make a run. But it does feel... Like it was quite special that it all happened where it happened for him.
0: It's one of those amazing things where just the stars all aligned. You know, he he had that opportunity to come back into the side during the Ashes, replacing someone who looked like he was absolutely undroppable in Travis Head. <laughs> you know, scores 150. It looks amazing. So it was when Kawaja comes in, all of a sudden makes himself undroppable because starting off by, you know, with Twin Centuries at the SCG, all of a sudden you just, how do you drop him? I mean, he was always in the picture to play on this tour. That was always on the cards. But he just started this beautiful run leading into it and just kept going. And and it was like he he was really born to play this tour. He was outstanding. Just everything he did, he just looked so relaxed. He looked like he was in from the moment he walked out there. And I, I mean, I just think it's a perfectly timed run for him at this time when Australia, you know, they're going to Sri Lanka, they're, they're going to India and playing these test matches. It is a, no disrespect to, to Marcus Harris, but you you do see Usman Khawaja out there when he's in this vein of form and kind of form and think, and not just Marcus Harris, you look back at a bunch of other openers Australia have used in the in sort of the past three, four years and think, he just looks in the in his current form. He just look miles better. Mm. he He really does. So you know, and th- there are obviously times he hasn't looked that good. but it, it just sort of felt like it was one of those things that was made for cricket writers to write romantic stories, you know, so, the fairy tale kind of thing. So because you had him coming home to Ralph Pindi and then you had him going mm. to, Karachi which was the land of the Kawajas, and he had his relatives there and by the time he got to Lahore it was you know everyone kept saying to me he's one of yours but he's also one of ours so mm. there was a real appreciation i think of what he represents in in being a child of two cultures i guess yeah especially so- when he's being asked questions in urdu and he answered questions in urdu as well that obviously meant a lot to people too
1: yeah i'm sure i mean it's incredible to be Sort of a totem in two different countries, isn't it, at at a similar time. It'd be so important. Australia win. It's a really important win for Australia. They haven't played overseas since 1987, as far as I can remember. (laughs) They hadn't been particularly good when they had played overseas consistently for a long time. When I did my World Test Championship odds, I thought Pakistan would make the final and I thought they would win at least one slash two of these tests. They've ended up with none. So it's a huge problem for Pakistan. And I go back to those pitches. It's like the absolute wrong kind of pitches to be setting up. From Pakistan's point of view, though, even though that's true and even though they did lose that series, it's really tried to say, you know, cricket is the winner and and everything. But there was absolutely no doubt that that was, there was a lot of, young, angry fans on Twitter who were like, oh, I'm sick and tired of everyone saying Pakistan's the winner. But th- there was a lot of people who just felt like the fact that this series happened was a huge step forward for Pakistan.
0: Well, like I said, it is easy to be cynical about it. I can tell you there was a lot of relief. By the time that that final day was over, there was a lot of relief, certainly around the PCB, and that you know we pulled it <laughs> off, like we actually got through it and everything was okay. So, yeah, I think that was really important for them first and foremost was just to get it on there. And I thought the interesting thing, yes, I, I, okay, so it ended up, you know, only having the one win. I kind of thought that Australia were really smart and it was a, a quite a fascinating start to the Andrew McDonald who now, you know, was only interim but now is, is definitely in the job, between him and Pat Cummins in how they wanted to do it. and The way they kept talking about it being a 15-day test And they had to be patient and hold their nerve all the way through to the fifteenth day. It did
1: sometimes feel like a fifteen-day test. It did sometimes.
0: (laughs) Pindy felt like a fifteen-day test. I'm telling you, (laughs) at least (laughs) fifteen. But the fact that they did that and they had a plan and they had the tactic and they also had the faith in their bowlers, in particular, that they would be able to do it when it came to it, when Mm. the final point came. So. So for me, I, like I, even though there were some long days and it's rare that you get three test series where every test goes for five days as well. But I just thought that was all really interesting and made it a fascinating series for me. You know, I, I thought the second test was an exciting draw. The first test wasn't an exciting draw. and the, the final test was a real cat and mouse game in so many ways when you were looking at, you know, setting targets and, and you know, declaring and all that sort of stuff. It was quite... I don't know, interesting, a, a real chess game that you just had to wait until the final moment. But, yeah, it, it did feel in the end as though, look, this is an achievement. We've done this. It's important, obviously mostly important for Pakistan. But just also, you know, Australia have been talking about wanting to be good global citizens for a couple of years now. This is like, feels like the first time in a long time that they've walked the walk. Uh, So hopefully that's kind of significant for Australia as well because that's good for world cricket if Australia aren't going to be the reticent travellers that they have been in in the past whenever there were issues within a country. So at the end, it did feel like there was a lot to really love about this series. Obviously, I was looking at it from a different point of view. For me, I loved it because I was there and it was just the whole experience of being there. And, you know, I was just sitting there going... I can't believe I'm watching Shaheen Shah Freedy bowling here or Baba Azam batting like this here in Pakistan. It's just totally different. Even though I've watched them met, play many times in other countries or on TV, it's different to actually be there and see those players performing in front of their home crowd.
1: In your article, you talk, I think, quite early on about people saying, you don't know how much this means to us, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Pakistani fans and Pakistani non-fans, humans, normal Pakistanis, you know, not even Oscar winners, just normal Pakistanis on the street. And by the end, did you get it? Did you understand what it meant to Pakistan culture, especially with what was happening with Imran Khan at the
0: same time? Yeah, I do. I I mean, I don't know if I get it to the same level because it made me realise how much I have taken for granted sitting here in Australia or in England or in other countries watching international cricket. So it brought that home to me. There was an 18-year-old guy who I met in Lahore. So I was walking to the press box and he stopped, asked if he could have a selfie. You know, he knew me from my work and he was just so excited to meet me and and was one of the people who said, thank you so much for coming to this country. It, It means so much to me. And he said to me that, When he was a kid, uh, he used to ask his dad what the Gaddafi Stadium was for because he didn't know what it was for. And this was his first time being at a test match was for this game because, of course, you know, while it has come back to cricket, Lahore hadn't hosted a, a test and... The fact that it was Lahore and it was where the attack happened and everything there was you know you talk about a sense of occasion and everything else it was very much there at Lahore as well because of the history so to meet this incredibly polite and lovely 18 year old who didn't even know what the stadium was for and was just like you could see he was quite emotional at being there and He was excited to meet me, even though I'm some schmuck from nowheresville, because he'd seen me covering cricket in other places in the world. And so there was suddenly that connection, sense of connection to the whole cricket world. And that that stayed with me a lot because it just made me realise how much I have taken for granted being able to watch cricket. And I think, you know, most of us have if we want to we can go and watch an international match we we get bloody well paid to go there so we especially do you know but even for other fans you know it might be expensive for some people it might be too expensive but you still have an opportunity to see international cricket in your own country that's probably what really really sunk in I think for me even though I'd been there for a while I just thought wow yeah okay I've taken this for granted Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, J-Rod.
1: Thank you for listening. There is more information on my guests in the show notes. Please support them where you can, but also support us. If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share, or word of mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. Lakunja Benredi is in charge of our video side. Orijoti Senpati turns the files into video podcasts. And Shibanka Paticharya makes our graphics. Our theme tune is called The Prisoner by the Red Crickets.